0: Life can be tough. We often find ourselves juggling between two worlds, Deen and dunya, this world and the next.
1: From career ambitions and marriage goals to daily routines and traveling the spiritual path. How does Islam the address these issues? And how do we know when we've achieved the balance?
0: To help us answer these questions and more is Sheikh Naveed Aziz, a native of Montreal, Quebec, Canada, a youth counselor And someone who has lectured across five continents and over 20 countries. But today you can find him with his team at Al Maghrib Institute.
1: Enjoy the podcast.
0: Assalamu mm. alaikum, rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Sheikh It's an honor to have you here again in wa Sydney, Australia. Assalamu rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It's an honor and pleasure to be here again,
1: Sheikh. I think you are actually our first Canadian guest here. I may be wrong, but I think Allah you're the first. I think you are. I think Allah so Allah you Allah Allah. have to establish that, inshallah. More people from Canada inshallah.
2: will come. Inshallah, may Allah Make it easy. may Allah make it easy. I mean, you, actually has Sheikh Yahya been here? Sheikh Yahya,
0: yeah, has, he, he has, but not on the
1: podcast. Uh, not not on, on, the podcast. on the podcast. Okay, but he's Australian now. You can't Yeah, yeah, yeah that's
2: true. That's true. He's he's sold out. He's one of us. He's one of us. Yeah.
1: Have you been to Canada, Kamal? Never. 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 I I know Canada's beautiful. You've never experienced a Tim Hortons in your life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We have to make that happen, inshallah. Look, is is that coffee? Tim Hortons is coffee. You have to have a Tim Hortons. Yeah, but uh, to be fair, I don't think. Canadians will be able to even come close to Australian not coffee. Not even close.
1: That's yeah, why like, yeah, exactly. I, d- I don't even Proof. drink Tim Hortons. Yeah. I do not wow. even drink Tim <laughs> Hortons. Okay, I don't know. I mean, I've already been once. I'm sorry, fellow Canadians. So mm. Tim Hortons really is more about once. the nostalgia. Like people it grew is. up on it. Okay. And that's
2: why it's so famous. But in terms of actually quality products, no? you know, I don't know if they'll sue us for this, but it's not that good.
1: <laughs> you guys got poutine though. We don't have poutine. That, that's true.
2: But yeah, you also see the difference in obesity rates there <laughs> as well, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you had Australian yeah. coffee? I just did. I just did just before oh, I arrived. It's nice, nice, and it's without a shadow of a doubt some of the best coffee I've ever had. Wow, yeah. without
0: without a shadow of the doubt, Allah Australian Allah. coffee is one of the best. i would say the best in the world. Well, But I, I need
2: to ask you between Melbourne coffee and Sydney coffee. All right, okay, we wins? take
0: the L. We take the L. Melbourne is definitely better. Okay, we'll, we'll cut that Melbourne's out. Inshallah, maybe. maybe just take you. the L. Sydney will There's take tensions. the L, but I think it's it's well known. So, um,
2: so I've been told that Sydney will take the L in two spaces in their road design and structure,
0: yeah. and then in their coffee. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah. No, no. I, I mean, think no. I think Melbourne's got Melbourne's a bit weird when it comes to their road structure. They turn right from like. Foot cool lane. The <laughs> like <laughs> it's, it's a bit weird. It doesn't I does not know what sense. Melbourne's doing. We drive through. on the left side of the road. Uh-huh. Uh, you guys drive we on, on the right. Right. Yeah. yeah. On the right so side. we got that wrong, but we'll take the L for that as well. In America, Canada. You brought it up, Malik. What's the big deal? Like is, is there more like is there beef between Canadians and Americans? I know I know there no, is a little look,
2: bit. Canada is like the a America's part of America. stooge. Canada's oh, America's well. stooge. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, well, uh. Even though technically we're under the queen, mm. but politically, whatever America has said, Canada has followed or so under like, the king, I should say. Actually now, now the king, yes, yeah. that is true. But the money currency hasn't changed yet. Okay, so well, has Yeah, asked. yeah. So technically we're still under the Queen until they manage uh, to change that. Not sure.
0: Any beef yeah. between Canadian imams and American imams or that's all, love. It's it's all about no, love. man. it's all love, man. It's sure? all love, Alhamdulillah. We can confirm that. We can yeah, confirm yeah, that. Yeah, 100%. From there's there's love. All love. So, Sheikh, to begin today's topic, I think the topic we've chosen is a topic which is, I guess we can say it's a little bit generic, but at the same time, it can be very confusing to mm. a lot of people, myself included. And that is balancing between the deen and the dunya. Balancing between your, I guess, your religious life, and your worldly life, and your worldly pursuits. Mm -hmm. The first question we'll have is, how does a Muslim, living in the West, or wherever he may be living, how does he find out what is his place in the dunya? And I know there's an easy answer to that question. You know, we were all created to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but I want to go into the intricate details. How do you know what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from you in this dunya?
2: Allahu Akbar. You know, um, I think this is a very personal question to me in the sense Because I'll give you some background Ever since I graduated from Medina um, What year was that? 2008 Mm. So December 2008 I came back to Canada And in March 2009 um, I attended this program with Sheikh Mohammed Al-Sharif Rahimahullah
0: Rahimahullah
2: With regards to life coaching and certification and stuff like that And I attended it because he gave me the advice That if you can't figure out what you want to do in life Come and attend this and you'll try to figure it out So I was like, okay, bismillah, let's do it. Because no joke, like I used to cry at night. Like in the middle of the night, I'd be crying because I felt there was this void in my heart that I didn't know what I wanted to do. Because my whole life I was told, don't become an imam, they'll treat you terribly. But those are the only opportunities that are open to me. So what am I- someone who's just graduated. Yeah, someone that's just graduated. So what am I meant to do, right? So I attended this program and alhamdulillah, I think it was it was life-changing without a shadow of a doubt because a lot of the topics that we'll discuss today- I think my foundation came from that very event in March, 2009 with Shaykh Muhammad But all that to say for my whole entire life up until this point, I would say December of 2022, I always kept looking at, I want to be from those people that have clarity and purpose and are passion driven through their career. That I understand this concept of, we're created to worship Allah, but you also have, can I use my career as a way of worshiping Allah mm, subhanahu wa ta'ala. As a means of self-fulfillment. self-fulfillment. Exactly, as a means of self-fulfillment. And I struggled with this. And I, like, from an Islamic perspective, I used to have Ghibta as opposed to Hasid. So ribta is when you see someone with something good and you want it for them and for yourself as well. Mm, that's fine? Yeah, that's fine. That's perfectly fine. You say, Allahumma barik lahum, you know, may Allah bless it for them and may, may I have the same, right? Hasid is like you want it taken away from them and you want it for yourself. That's haram. Mm-hmm. That's what you're not allowed to have. And I used to have this ribta, and you, you know, I I look at these examples of people that have you know one career for their whole entire lives, and they've taken it to the you know uh, epitome of what anyone can reach in that field. And I'd be like, I want that man. Why can't I have that, Subhanallah? Till December of 2022, I came to this epiphany that you know what? It's okay to be the jack of all trades because mm-hmm. I've dealt with Islamic finance, I've dealt with mental health, I've dealt with counseling in general. Sure. I've dealt with the comedy and spoken word tours, mm. like I've done all this stuff, right? Trying to find what is my niche that I meant to fulfill. And then I came to two realizations. Number one, that it's okay to be the jack of all trades, have your hand in a the, in the little bit of everything. And this too is also a favor from Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala. that that too is a blessing because certain people wish that they could expand their horizons and have multiple you know, skill sets. And if that's what Allah has given you, alhamdulillah. And then number two, as you grow, there are certain things in your life that will no longer be relevant, that you've outgrown them, right? And that is where your purpose and your passion and your fulfillment will be in different things as you grow older. And, you move. and that too is fine as well. So, you know, someone that's in Islamic finance now, 10 years from now, they don't have to be in that. They can go into some other career, right? So I think leave those doors open that some people Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives clarity and embrace it. Other people Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't give clarity to. But you have to embrace that as well. Because if you don't embrace it, then you end up going down the trajectory that I had where you're constantly just like punishing yourself internally. Why can't I have the clarity? Why can't I have the clarity? SubhanAllah. Right? And you have to embrace it and you move on with it. And that's where you slowly and gradually develop multiple skill sets at the same time.
0: What were some of the learnings from Sheikh Mohammed Al-Sharif, if you don't mind me asking? You said uh, that did take a bit of a a tangent when when you went to that class. What were some of the learnings you, I guess, gained from that specific class?
2: So there was actually two classes happening. So on the weekend we did this class called the Millionaire that went to Jannah, and that's like uh, an approach to Islamic finance and how Muslims view wealth. And then the second one was how to deal with people on a one-to-one basis. So how to build rapport with them, you know, um, how to speak the same language as them, how to, you know, for lack of a better word, manipulate emotions to get them to a place where they need, need to be, to be yeah. right? So that's uh, what the class was about. Mm, yeah.
1: so Sheikh, that was actually a very beautiful story. And I think that actually could relate to a lot of people in the sense that life is actually quite a, a long journey. And mashallah, you know, a roller coaster, a roller coaster like. of course, and a roller coaster of emotions and overwhelming feelings. But you don't have to, I don't feel like sometimes a lot of people put a lot of pressure on themselves, uh, perhaps even at a certain age that I need to achieve X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And perhaps, you know, I mean, for example, prophethood was revealed at, I think it's 40, uh, 40, yeah. so, you know, you, life is a long journey with so many blessings, but um, I would want to ask you, what would be on the other side of that spectrum? Because you're saying like, we live in a world where people are, you know, the clock is ticking fast and people have got to make some money moves, you know, time is hard, there's recession in some places, things are quite not as, they're not as easy as they were maybe five or 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but what would be the extremes? Like what would be a pitfall, for example? Um, if you're just chasing certain things um, like a career, uh, whether it be financial wealth, which is okay to an extent, as you were saying, but what would be the opposite of that, of going into extremes? What would so I,
2: I think if we put the spectrum from one side to the other, one side is, you know what, I'm just going to live in the masjid and stay in the masjid and everything I do is a, a form of uh, Islamic monsticism, which is not actually Islamic at all. The Prophet he tells us that the best wealth that you can earn is the wealth that you earn with your own two hands, right? Mm-hmm. And he gives us the example of the bird that, if you were to put your trust in Allah subhanahu wa taala, trust that he's truly deserving, then he would provide for you just like he provides for the bird that leaves its nest early in the morning hungry and comes back with its stomach full. So you have to take that action to earn your risk. So that is one side of the spectrum where you completely ignore, ignore the dunya. Mm-hmm. And Allah subhanahu wa taala addresses the Prophet Wasallam with this. He tells us Wala tansa dunya, that don't forget about your share of this world. So, that monastic you know, lifestyle is not Islamic at all. And then you have the exact opposite side where people are just living for the sake of this dunya. Get rich by any means necessary, right? What was that uh, famous 50 cent line? Get rich, get or, di- die get rich or die <laughs> trying. I learned that. Uh, I don't know where I learned that from. <laughs> but, um, I don't know. I don't know yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can quote No, nothing. No worries. Yeah. All good. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. So yeah, and that's the exact opposite end. And this is where, you know, the Prophet tells us that whoever prioritizes their akhirah, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, gives them their akhirah and their dunya. But whoever prioritizes their dunya mm-hmm. ends up losing both. And so, that's like something you really fear, Subhanallah, that how many of these people are chasing the dunya, but they're miserable on the inside. And I think we've seen so many examples of this, you know, in uh, pop culture, where they have the house, they have the car, they have the money, they have the promiscuous lifestyle yeah, these people end up committing suicide at the end.
1: Mm. No, That's very true, Sheikh. I think, like you said, there are many examples today that people can uh, take notice of. But I would ask, you know, this is a really weird concept. And maybe I'm going to throw this question to both of you and this is going to be a bit weird. But I want you just to have a, maybe have a second and reflect on the answer. Because I've done this to a couple of people and I've got the most funniest of answers here. But mm-hmm. this is something that I found really astounding. And I don't think no one's actually answered it correctly the first time. So maybe you guys at home could have a listen and tune in. What do all men want? It's one thing. And I'm going to throw that out there. Anyone can start if you have an answer. Bismillah. Kamal, go for it, man.
0: All right, we'll save the best for last. Um, what do all men want? I can only speak for myself. I can't speak on behalf okay. of all men. I don't like people projecting all men. I'm joking. Um, what do men want from my perspective? Contentment. Contentment. Okay. Peace. Good. Is, is you're, so you're speaking specifically about men. For men,
2: yeah. For men, as opposed to mankind, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, from what I understand, men are, are recognition driven. They want recognition, they want praise, they want to be the man, right? Yeah.
1: Interesting recognition. The answer that I came to, or that I've heard as well, that's been speculating, is more. Men want more. Mm. And there's having the issue of contentment. Like uh, the I think all people want more. Well, I think yeah. men and women are a bit different in that regard. But the Prophet said, you know, if you were to give uh, a man a land of gold, mm. what would you want? Another. 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 Yeah. Of gold, yeah. Right. So I think I think that was just a, an interesting thing I wanted uh, to throw into the works.
0: I, I think that, that's actually very interesting because we can lead on to the next topic. So man always wants more. Mm-hmm. And in that hadith, I believe the Prophet says, and nothing will fulfill his belly except dust, right. dirt. Turab and on saying that, we can see that this dunya, in many ahadith, in many of the literature, Islamic literature, we see that this dunya is somewhat cursed. Mm. You know, there's actually a hadith that says Ad dunya malaluna. Yeah, it's a place that has been cursed, and except for alim and or متعالم, except for a scholar, uh, a student of knowledge, and the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa taala, we see all this, I guess, dispraise and criticism of the dunya. Mm. But then at the other, t- on the other hand. At least as a Muslim, I see that this dunya is also a beautiful place. Like it's a place of joy. It's a place of family. It's a place of gathering. It's a place of brotherhood. Mm-hmm. It's a place of uh, even charity, doing good works. So how do you balance between this dunya being a place that is, for lack of a bit of terms, or f- for what the hadith mentions, mm-hmm. a place that is cursed, mm-hmm. But then at the same time, it's a place of great beauty. Mm -hmm. An amphitheater
1: of light, if you so will. An amphitheater amphitheater of of light. light. Allahu Allahu Akbar. MashaAllah. Very
0: great. uh, You know, Allah subhanahu
2: wa ta'ala, He tells us that very concept in Surah Al-Kahf. Al-Mal wal-Banoon Zinatul Hayata al That Mm -hmm. wealth and children are from the adornments of this life. Mm -hmm. And I think there's two approaches over here. Number one, is that here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that they are from adornments, your wealth and children so you are meant to embrace them you are meant to enjoy them like people may think that if I have wealth and children I'm supposed to curse it and hate it no, and you know yeah, that sort of mentality right because I, I don't want it to distract me from the from the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. and we'll get to that point as well and then number two is that if you look at this word zina zina is a, a very surface level beauty so it's beautiful on the surface but deep down inside it could be beautiful or it could be ugly right it can go both ways it can go both ways. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's beautiful or ugly underneath and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also gives us this other perspective where fitna, that indeed your wealth and your children are a fitna for you so be but very careful with. as to how you tread with them but what I want to focus on is this verse where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that on that day your wealth and your children will not benefit you except for the one that comes to Allah with a pure heart.
0: Allah, that's a a crazy connection. Yes, and
2: that's what we wanna focus on, that how do we get to this level where our wealth and our children will benefit us? And that focuses on having a pure heart, right? So the example I like to give, and this is not my example, this is from Sheikh Muhammad, is that wealth is like a magnifying glass in the sense that if the heart is pure, it will magnify the purity. If the heart is corrupt, may Allah protect us from that, it will magnify the corruption. What does that mean? That if your heart is pure, you're very conscious as to where your money is coming from and how you're spending it. If the heart is corrupt, you won't care where your money is coming from and you won't care how you're spending it, right? So if your heart is pure, your wealth and your children will be a proof for you. But if your heart is corrupt, your wealth and children will be a proof against you, right? So if you focus on your own self and purifying your heart and doing righteous deeds and consciously you know, working at uh, eradicating greed and miserliness and all these other diseases that are related to wealth, that is how you make your wealth a-, a proof for you, right? And that's what I think people often forget that there is a physical dimension to wealth. And I think that's something we need to explore as well. But there's a spiritual dimension to wealth, right? Like the sins become an impediment between us and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Prophet ﷺ tells us in Sahih Muslim that there's a man that's traveling in the desert, his hair is disheveled, He's dusty, he's hungry, he's thirsty, and he raises his hands to Allah. And then he tells us about this man that his eating is from haram, his drinking is from haram, his clothes are from haram, his wealth is from haram. يُسْتَجَابَ Why does he think that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will answer his dua? Meaning that if you're not conscious of the things that you consume, then they can become an impediment between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there's that spiritual dimension of risk being prevented as opposed to with, the, with your sins. But then we have the opposite end uh, in, in Surah An-Nuh. Where Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala tells us, that Nuh he tells his people that regularly make istighfar, because he is the one that sends clouds through which the rains comes down. He is the one that blesses you with wealth and children, and he is the one that will grant you uh, gardens underneath which rivers flow. Meaning that the more istighfar you make, the more Allah subhanahu wa Ta-A'la blesses you with these things, right? So that spiritual dimension of wealth is very, very important. And then you find instances where the Prophet ﷺ is actually asking for risk, right? Allahumma inni asaluka nafi'a wa rizqan wa amalan That's one dua that we learn. And then the, one of the duas that's narrated after wudu is that the Prophet ﷺ used to say, Allahumma wa wasi'li fi dari wa fi That, oh Allah, forgive me for my sin, make spacious for me my home, and bless for me my risk. So I think as believers, we have to take the physical means and a sign of purity is that you're taking the spiritual means as well. And that's mm-hmm. what keeps you in check. Because if you're not taking the spiritual means, you'll go to you know, get rich or die trying. Mm-hmm. And we don't wanna live
1: that lifestyle. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack in that. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to carry off. Mm-hmm. Come
2: on. Yeah, I apologize. I came across as a lecture that wasn't my no, intention no, no, at all. No, no. That's all good. Oh, yeah.
1: I think what you said was actually very pertinent, very important for us to hear. I think there was someone who mentioned before, um, he said, you know, I think this goes back to what you were saying about if you're not having these means as a means of benefit, but to know that everything that sits above dust is only dust itself. Mm-hmm. And if you really actualize that, I think it's incredibly deep that if you're not using these things for means of benefit, then what, what are they? Just material things. Yeah. But I think there was actually a really funny story that we actually had a marriage counselor that came in um, that we had the pleasure to listen to some time ago. And they were telling us how there was a husband and wife, mashallah, that guy was actually quite wealthy his wife was saying he just doesn't give in charity he doesn't give Mm. and he got to such a point where the marriage counselor actually had to come in and hold the man's hand to um, donate money in so he would physically hold his hand, put money in to tip in the box in the charity box and then every week the wife would call uh the counselor saying look he's not doing it he's not doing it and he would have to come time and time again to actually you know to do the same thing over and over again but by the end of it i think there was I think I was nearly about $100,000 in that thing and what it was it wasn't just coins anymore it was $50 notes $100 notes so subhanAllah it's quite expensive he trained
0: himself how to part with the mm-hmm. dunya and I think that can also allude to the importance of having the dunya in your hand but not in your heart mm-hmm. so being able to possess it's a big difference a great amounts yeah. of wealth, but at the same time your heart is con- Allah subhanahu wa taala is contained within your heart, and the love of Allah and the love of the Deen is within your heart. But within your hand, you own this dunya. How does one know that the dunya is in his heart and not in his hands? What are the uh, signs? Not in his heart. The, the dunya is not in his heart, but only in his hands. What are, the, what are the signs? Because we are people. Naturally, we love to look good. We love to dress nice. We love to, you know, wear the nicest shoes, nicest clothes. How do we know that this is only? You know, what manifests physically, but within my heart, it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.
2: You know, I was going to jump the gun. I was yeah. going to answer that before you even asked. Uh, Imam Ahmad, he was asked, what is zuhud? Like, what is asceticism? Mm. And he says that if you got 100,000 dinars or you lost 100,000 dinars, you will not increase or decrease in your Allah. All right? And I think that's how you know that if your wealth goes up or your wealth goes down, you're not necessarily more happy or sad just based but upon that Naturally,
0: wealth. I think you are going to be sad if you lose $100,000. I would be very sad. <laughs> of would, course.
2: But I mean, the fact really that you got to $100,000 in the first place. If I saw $100,000. <laughs> 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 May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us that I and much, mean, much more yeah, in yeah. this life and the next. Yeah. I mean, right? But the point is, like, you know, I, I I think about this regularly. The one that granted you the tawfiq to get to $100,000 the first time, can he not grant you the tawfiq to reach it a second time and a third time? Right? And I think that's the, the life of this dunya that if you look at Uthman ibn Afan radiallahu anhu, like the more money he gave, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him like tenfold, fortyfold, 40 fold, 70 fold more, right? And that's the concept of having wealth in your hand and not in your heart, that you're willing to let it go, understanding that I'm giving this away and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to give me much, much more. The second thing to look at is again, you know, the Prophet am telling us, al-ghina ghina nafs, that wealth is... Not the, the, the physical possessions that you have, but it is, it is the contentment of the soul. So if your soul is content, does it make a difference if you have 100,000 or if you have no money at all? No, because everyone just wants to have contentment in their life. So, What is contentment? What is contentment? It is, you know, it ties in to the submission that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what is best for me and I don't. That is what contentment is, right? Al-Islamu al-Istislam. That Islam is to submit to the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? So that is what contentment is. And if a person can force themselves into submission that Allah knows better for me than I do know for myself, you will always be content. But the second you become deluded into thinking that I know better than what Allah knows for me and wants for me, then you'll be miserable your whole entire life.
0: I read, a, I think it was a statement of Umar bin Khattab he says, I do not ask Allah to make me rich or poor because I do not know which one is better mm. for me. So just to have that state of contentment regardless of your outer circumstances and to always, what, what was interesting about what you said as well, you, uh, you did not in. Increase or decrease in shukr, mm. so you always remain as a thankful slave of Allah. And even in like modern psychology today, that they say that we should all practice gratitude, and gratitude is so great for you, and yeah. you should I'll always be thankful. And all but what, what I guess uh, bewilders me mm. is how can you practice gratitude as someone who doesn't believe in Allah? Like, like giving thanks to the One. Yeah, like I, yeah. I see a lot of people saying, you know, when I buy a cup of coffee, I manifest five dollars, and and I and I put it in my heart that oh, I'm grateful. But who are you grateful to? Like to to Mother Nate? No, who are you grateful to? To Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That makes the difference for me.
2: hundred percent. And this is why, you know, at the end of the day, this is how secularism has ruined our societies in the sense where it's taboo to thank and praise God, but it's completely normal and fine to thank Mother Earth and Mother (laughs) Nature and the universe. And that's that's (laughs) the newish thing. I thank the universe, right? Exactly. The stars have aligned. At the end of the day, as if these things aren't created themselves, Right. You know, subhanAllah, how can you thank something that's created just like you are? Um, but that's what secularism has done to us, right? It's, mentioning taboo has become a, a pejorative almost. Yeah, to, to thank yeah.
0: Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But they know deep down, you know, practicing gratitude is is only helping you and only benefiting you. And it's it's proven in the Qur'an. Yeah. Uh, if you practice gratitude, you will surely be increased. And we've seen it psychologically, biologically. It's It's proven as a strategy to increase oneself. You've also mentioned on secularism, and this is another topic that we were actually thinking needs to be touched upon. Mm -hmm. A lot of the Muslims today living in the West, the way we are, I guess, programmed in this world is to go through the secular channels of attaining knowledge and going to universities, going to colleges, attaining degrees. Um, And me personally, whenever like a year 12 student or someone who's finishing high school comes to me and asks me for advice, in my humble... Advice I generally tell them pick a degree where you can become a person of benefit, benefit yeah. To give so, back Yeah, to give back There's a, there's a famous hadith Ahabun nasi lin nasi. The most beloved people to Allah are those who are most beneficial And at times when you're an imam, it just seems so, I guess, apparent I'm an imam, I'm going to benefit my community by working in Expited. the masjid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But not everyone's going to be an imam Correct. there are different channels of, of knowledge someone becomes a doctor someone becomes an engineer
1: yeah the different avenues yeah. i think that's really important we can be uh, ben- we need muslims yeah. in all spaces i would argue so
0: so so yeah. the question is how do you know mm. how to use your degree to become a pe- mm. person of benefit
1: yeah yeah, i would agree so how, how could we what what advice would you give to someone perhaps someone as young as myself um or to someone who's perhaps doing university or What would your advice be for someone to be a a real student of knowledge, but yet still engage and in this world, but but to study something that will be of the means of benefit? Mm. What would you advise them?
2: So I I think there's quite a bit to unpack in that question as well. With regards to being a student of knowledge, like always study with your local scholars, start with memorizing the Quran as much as you can, and then learn the fundamentals of your, your deen, right? Like every Muslim needs to know those basics. So make sure you know those basics in terms of your Islam. Now, with regards to your degree and your education, statistically, I can't remember, but it's between sixty to seventy percent of people that graduate with a degree don't actually work in the profession that they graduated in. That's right? entirely natural, right? Yeah, that's absolutely yeah. normal and fine. And I think this goes back to allowing yourself that behavioral flexibility. That even though I'm graduating in geology, if I end up working in customer service, that's perfectly fine, right? Geology. So, oh. As in, I'm throwing random oh, stuff out amazing. there, right? Amazing. <laughs> So the, the point being at the end of the day, there's two things to look at. Number one, financially contributing to the Ummah and uh, using your skill set to contribute to the Ummah. Right? Allah subhanahu wa Taala says, That Allah subhanahu wa Taala has purchased from their believers their wealth and their souls in exchange for Jannah. So the wealth part is obvious and the soul part will equate to using your skill set to benefit the Ummah. So with regards to your wealth, this is not just about you paying your zakat. Like zakat is mandatory. Mm -hmm. And this is like, if you go, the bare minimum, like praying five times a day is the bare minimum, right? So you want to go above and beyond and try to use your wealth strategically. Uh, Like I'm a big proponent of coming back to this waqf system where you create a waqf where even after you pass away, you know people continue to benefit from your wealth. so using your wealth but then also using your skill set like someone that's good at graphic design someone that's good at customer service someone that's good at uh you know math whatever you can do to help and benefit the ummah just like you give your zakat on your wealth and your sadaqah on your wealth you have to give zakat and sadaqah on on the knowledge that you have and as well on have. the skills that you have as well right so contributing those to the to the masjid or community organizations because i think historically all we had was masajid and government like everything was run under the system but now that that's not the case you have masajid and you have community organizations and you can see where your skill set fits in the most right so find one of those organizations that you feel comfortable working with and contribute your skill set as well
1: and if you don't find one perhaps create that society as well because some i mean we live like the opposite side of the world, we're here in Australia and in some remote places, there's not much, there's not really a sense of community. So I think I'll work to the audience or to whoever's listening. Definitely try and build those circles. I mean, to have good companionship, it's so important and to have a good stable community, it's, it's, it's really important.
0: And find what you can contribute. It was just yesterday, I was watching this random video that popped up in my feed of an Egyptian architect who was uh, asked to design the Haramain in Medina and Mecca wow you're an architect you're not a student of knowledge you're not a scholar you're not uh, Talib al ilm you're not you're an architect and an engineer and for him that was like the most I guess honorable feat he could ever achieve in his life and I heard that he gave away all the money he earned from uh, designing the Haramain and expanding the Haramain so look an architect can find his way to contribute back to society so wherever you are just try to find that 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 Place in your life to to give back, subhanallah. Yeah, and um, it can
1: be tough. I mean, for example, we have you also do have family commitments as well, right? So yeah. that's tough. Sheikh, would you have any advice for perhaps any young couples out there of who are trying to still trying to engage but also have obligations at the home? What would your advice be to perhaps a young married couple or a couple, let's say, a so married couple?
2: So I, I I think when you get married finding the right spouse is Mm -hmm. paramount, right? So it's paramount in the sense that your values have to be aligned in the sense that you have to be akhira-driven. So that being said, you know, um, don't quote me on on the authenticity of this, but the scholars of hadith have mentioned this story of uh, Al-Baqiyah ibn Makhlad, who was one of the students of Imam Ahmad. And he made two journeys in his lifetime. One was approximately 20 years long and another one was like 30 or 40 years long. And they asked him, you know, how do you spend so much time away from your family. You can, mm. can you imagine being away for 20 years? Mm. Like this is pre-internet, right? This is, <laughs> If you're, anything, high, you're writing, issue, you're writing you letters, if anything, yeah. right? But his response was phenomenal. It's a small amount of time to be away from them in this dunya, to be with them forever in Jannah, right? So if they recognize the fact that what I'm doing is akhirah driven, and yes, I may not get to spend all the time that you want with me uh, in yeah. this life, but if you're willing to be patient just long enough so that we can get to Jannah together, I will be with in, with you in Jannah for infinity, inshallah, right?
0: A tremendous sacrifice on the part of his family as Exactly,
2: well. right? And th- these are like, you know, we don't understand the, 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 the shoulders of the giants of who we stand upon, right? Like Baqi ibn Makhlad to us is probably some no one. I, I doubt well, the vast majority of our audience has, has heard of him. But if you look at the hadith that are narrated, like he was a major contributor to the science of hadith. So all of that's to say that, you know, when you're finding a spouse, someone that's akhira-driven, number two, openly communicate and support and encourage one another, right? I think that's something that isn't done enough. Oftentimes, we don't communicate and we don't encourage one another, right? What is what tawassu bil haqq, what bil sabr all about, right? There's a divine wisdom behind why this is such a short surah that almost everyone has memorized, that this is how you get through the dunya. You keep advising one another to be patient and you keep advising one another with the truth, right? That truth is Allah and through Allah, you will get to, to Jannah, right? Then the, the third and last thing is, I think oftentimes we don't include our families enough in our pursuits. So we do things in isolation. You take care of, of the, the home house. and the kids and I will take care of you know, the outside world and dawah and everything else. But if there's a way that you can include them, I think they'll appreciate that so much more, mm. right? So those are, are three points that I would recommend for those newly mm, wedded really couples. It's
1: really funny, also doing the small things, like there's a, <laughs> there's a joke that my father would tell me and he would record the joke. He would say, you know, at night, uh, for example, the husband may go to the wife and say, honey, I've I brought you like a, for example, a really nice gift. Maybe it may be um, a ring, a piece of jewelry or even a car. And then the wife goes to bed at night and says, if only he knew the way to my heart was doing the dishes. <laughs> <Yeah. So laughs> uh, I think that's a way it's to it's a, 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 a
0: yeah. lot of women's hearts. too. And the, way.
2: the thing is, it's not as if she wants you to do the dishes every single night. Yeah. She just wants to know that you care enough to do it one night mm-hmm. without her having to ask. Right. So I think being proactive from all the time, but even sometimes if possible, will go such a long way in terms of uh, being, appreciation, uh, being
0: appreciated. Marriage is, is definitely a very important topic, but to avoid going into the marriage lizard hole, Bismillah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll go back out just for a moment. Um, we spoke about career pursuits and, you know, making sure that you're a person of benefit. But there are times when we feel like our dean sometimes suppresses our career pursuits. And I wanted to mention, a I, I think it's a very interesting story about the first Muslim to go to space. Mm. He was one of the sons of the current king of of the Saudi Arabian kingdom, Malik Malik Salman. He was the first Muslim to go to space. And he had a... His name was Sultan bin Salman. And he was asked to bring only one personal item to space that he was allowed to take with him. And he chose to take the Quran. Mm. And he... he, It's documented and he speaks about it on, on a video that was recorded about this incident. And he said, I was doing... Khatam of the Qur'an in space. Akbar. I was reading the Qur'an and I was you know, from cover to cover in space. I was praying my salah in space. I was praying tahajjud in space. And he says, I want Muslims to understand that don't let your deen restrict you to the confines of the masjid as we, as we began this podcast on speaking about. But at times we do feel like the deen... Suppresses us Maybe it's By a, a, a Lack of, uh, of Scholarship In terms of guiding The Ummah In the right direction Or maybe it's a Misunderstanding Of the deen What are your thoughts On The words of this uh, Astronaut <laughs> if, if we can call him that And the fact that He was Muslim And the fact that He's encouraging Muslims To use their faith To explore Horizons As opposed to Suppress them
2: So I, I think I'd approach this From a Quranic perspective In the sense that if you look at the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala approaches the halal, he says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made the earth uh you know vast for you and it is halal and tayyib and you know seek from it what you want. And then the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say made haram are very, very few and very, very specific. So oftentimes we may have this perception that the deen is very restrictive, but it's the exact opposite. The deen is restrictive in those things that are harmful to you, right? And if it's harmful to you, why do you want to pursue it anyways, right? So, uh, the more you get to understand this deen and how it's based on uh, benefits and harms, that which is beneficial, Allah has made halal. That which is harmful to you, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made haram. Then, why would you feel restricted in that perspective, right? So, it's only something that is haram that you would be restricted by, whereas everything else that is beneficial would be uh, permitted to you. Number two is I think there's often this disconnect where, you know, if you look at the scholars of the past, a lot of the famous ones were polymaths. And I think there's this expectation that all of our imams need to be like that as well. Where I think there's that fine line that, yes, all imams and shuyukh need to expand their horizons and be familiar with it. But I think what's even greater is a collaborative approach. Where if I know fiqh and this person knows you know science and math, why can't we not all work together to share ideas to come to a conclusion together, right? So all that to say that it's often unfair that we label our imams and shiuch that, you know, they're archaic, they're medieval, they don't know anything. It's not their fault. This is where they went to school. This is what they that's learned. That's their speciality. And that's their speciality. And this is how they're serving the ummah, mm. right? You can't expect them to know everything. Now, this is to say that, how are we investing in our imams in our shiuch? Like, what masajid do you know that have a stipend for their imams and their shiuch to learn and grow? That every year, here's $3,000, go and take a class in public relations. Go skills. and take a class in public speaking. Go take a class in counseling. Which imams, uh, sorry, which masajid or community organizations offer this? They don't. So until we change our mindset, our imams and shuyuk aren't going to change. So I think there is that fine line uh, over there as well.
0: Yeah, and so also about not undermining other people's talents and skills. Like sometimes we have this perception that the ideal Muslim is this character like a cookie cutter person and if everyone just becomes like this cookie cutter individual mm-hmm. then we'll have a grand and amazing ummah when it's not the case there's we there's need different yeah, people we
1: do need different people and if we were all the same it would be quite a boring yeah. and plain and we part. shouldn't
0: belittle anyone yeah. else we should rather of course. utilize yeah. different people we just had uh Dr. Tariq Swaydan last week and he Mashaun was Allah. actually asked by Yusuf Qardawi one of you know the grand uh, scholars of, of our generation Allah irhamu, may Allah have mercy on him and Yusuf Qardawi admitted that he didn't know anything about leadership. Mm. And he asked I openly said that he also. asked Dr. Tariq Swaydan to teach me about leadership and don't just teach me. He gathered all the Masheikh, the Grand Mashaykh, Sheikh Muhammad from Mauritania, and all the grand mashaykh and he says, Tariq Swaydan, Dr. Tariq, teach us about leadership. Allahu Akbar. So this is his speciality. Teach the Ummah. And each and every single one of us has that speciality or multiple specialities that we should build. And and contribute. Allahu Akbar.
2: You know, I I think if you look at, just to go on a quick tangent, if you look at the scholars of the past, like uh, Imam al-Ghazali rahimahullah, or Abu hassan al-Ash'ari rahimahullah, they all went through multiple phases in their life. And at the end, they all came to the conclusion that knowledge is which brings you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I think people often forget that. We get so bogged down in studying the nitty gritty details of aqidah and fiqh and any any other signs, but if it's not bringing you closer to Allah, what is the point of it, right? So the person that's searching for Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will find Allah. So as long as you're sincere and you're on your journey to look for Allah, you will find Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. But the key thing is, how do we know that we're sincere, right? And I think that's the thing that you have to keep struggling with, you know, constantly asking Allah Subhanahu wa Taala for sincerity, raising our hands to Allah, praying to Allah in the middle of the night, and begging and pleading with Allah for the things that we want that is the sign of sincerity. And I think a lot of us are falling short in that, right? We wanna find Allah, we're claiming that we want Allah, but are we willing to put in that effort? And oftentimes we're not. So then why are we surprised when we're not getting the results, right? So I would say that is uh, probably my advice that whatever you put in is what you're gonna get out. If you're not putting in the effort, don't expect miraculous results. But you're miracles re- happen, re- but not to everyone, mm. right? There's a reason why they're called miracles. So. Um, run towards Allah. You know, wake up in the middle of the night and pray and make a du'a. Be sincere with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and you'll get everything that you want. Yeah,
0: That's profound advice. You know, a lot of a lot of the times we get confused. We're so busy chasing after the asbab, the worldly means, and we forget Khalikul Asbab, of course, the creator of the means. And always ask yourself, Am I becoming closer to? Am I coming? Closer to Allah mm-hmm. I also want to throw one more confusing topic out to you mm-hmm. We spoke about the world being a place of Being quote unquote cursed But at the same time a place of great beauty There's another issue when it comes to the deen That can also cause some confusion and conflicting ideas uh, Some cognitive dissonance among, amongst Muslims And that is the issue of Islam being a religion of yusr a religion of ease so for instance we see a plethora of islamic literature saying that this deen is a deen of ease the quran speaks about this deen being a deen of ease Allah wishes ease for you and not hardship
1: and everyone's favorite instagram quote after hardship becomes." yeah <laughs> there's always ease <laughs>
0: but at the same time we also see other hadith which are somewhat contrary and of course, contrary to the, the surface level, that Jannah is surrounded by hardship mm-hmm. and difficulty. And we see that, I think, one of the, the foundations of fiqh is uh, the Qawaid, the foundations of jurisprudence is that the greater the difficulty, the greater the reward. Mm-hmm. You will not enter Jannah until you be tested and trialed. And this creates somewhat of a cognitive dissonance amongst Muslims. Does Allah want ease or does Allah want hardship? Is Islam a deen, a religion of ease or is it a religion that you know, necessitates hardship? How do we find that balance, the middle ground?
2: So I, I'm going to turn
0: this question back to you and then I'll answer it. Well, well, when, <laughs> yeah. when is ease a good thing? I think it comes back to what you were just saying before. When you're coming closer to Allah subhanahu yeah. wa ta'ala. So know, I, I what,
2: what happens to people when they have too much ease in their life? That's Allah. Complacent, they forget Allah subhanahu wa yeah. ta'ala, you know, apathetic, lethargic, all these things happen Laziness, when they have too much comfort. The
0: lazy generation. Today. So ease
2: becomes something praiseworthy and beneficial in the face of hardship. Mm. Ease within and of itself is not something that is praiseworthy, right? So if you have constant ease, what is the value of that ease? It's not valuable at all. So this is why going back to Qa'id Faqiyah, there's two things that we'll look at. Uh, بقدرها, that necessity is will be judged with regards to their greatness and their severity. Meaning that the ease that comes with necessity is based upon the level of that necessity. And then the ease that comes with it, that necessity brings about permissibility even in the impermissible, Mm. right? So all that to say is that I think our deen is one of pragmatism in the sense that our deen will approach things from the lens of this is where you need Um, discipline and you need to be strict and you need to focus like the five daily prayers even in war you have to pray you're not getting out of it right that's where the discipline is needed but the ease comes about okay if you need to combine and you need to shorten in certain circumstances that's perfectly fine right so it's in accordance to the hardship that you're facing and ease in of itself is not necessarily a good thing and I think we need to get rid of that mindset that if you constantly have ease it's terrible for you it doesn't build you it doesn't build you, exactly. And there's so many other things that we could discuss with No pain, no gain. Exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> <He's quite laughs> tough, just a like major throwback. Anyone James, that was born James, James. in the nineties, yeah. I don't know, that's no, not that yeah. long ago. But so sorry, but all, all of that to say I think that's how I would approach the, the topic that Islam is pragmatic, ease is, is praiseworthy in the face of hardship, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the end of the day is Al Alim and Al Hakim. And whatever He has dictated is what is best for us. Hmm.
0: I have one personal question for you Sheikh Naveed. You began this podcast with rahimahullah Dr. Muhammad Sharif. Someone I did not have the honor or the privilege to meet unfortunately, but I benefited from his lectures, from his talks. He's someone who I guess embodied that balance between deen and dunya, someone who was highly successful uh financially perhaps, but at the same time someone who was well-rounded when it came to Islamic knowledge, his da'wah and he attained that balance and he left behind a great legacy. What are some of the lessons you learned from rahimahullah, Dr. Muhammad sharif And what made him so important to you? I know he had a profound role and relationship to you. What were some of the lessons he left you with?
2: Rahimahullah. You know, it's, uh, uh, it's a very touchy subject because uh, there's a lot of funny incidents that happen, which uh, I'll share with you as uh, an introduction. But I, the person I get confused for the most is Sheikh Mohammed al Sharif. And I'll tell you a funny story. I was at Heathrow Airport. I'm sitting in the main, like, waiting area. And this brother comes up to me and he's like, MashaAllah, Sheikh, come in. You know, I'll take you inside the Qatar Airways business class lounge. Allah. And uh, he's like, I loved your program on the Islam channel. And he's talking about something that Sheikh Mohammed al Sharif did.
0: Allah. <laughs>
2: So he's giving me all of this food and he's not letting me speak like he's just going on a, a mm-hmm. constant thing He's preparing all this food. He's talking. He's telling me about all the things that he learned And he never gave me the opportunity to, to tell him that I'm not Sheikh Muhammad Al-Sharif And that's just one incident of the many many incidents it.
1: I'm, I'm Yeah, I'm living, you it, living it up, right that remember. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> subhanallah
1: Quite literally this incident.
2: <laughs> but you know, I, I, I don't know where to begin with the actual lessons I, I think you know, number one is that Allah always deserves better. Like what does that mean to us? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always deserves better. That no matter what you do, you can still give a better effort. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is worthy of that effort. And this ties into so many other things that you will never be shortchanged by Allah, right? Right? Like in this world, you, can, you work for an employer, you can put in multiple hours, your quality of work is phenomenal, they'll still pay you the exact same salary. That's it. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, based upon your intentions and based upon your effort, your reward exponentially increases. Number two is the, the famous line that he had that if McDonald's can spend billion a billion dollars marketing a Big Mac, why can't we spend a million dollars, you know, marketing Islam? And I think that's what revolutionized da'wah in terms of making it more professional, right? Um, So I think that professional aspect of da'wah is so important where knowledge is revered, scholars are revered, and Islam as a whole is taken more seriously. And I think that is something that has been very, very profound. Number three is that you should never feel bad about being successful. Because people oftentimes, and this may not be a current thing, but at least back then, if an imam drove into the masjid driving a Ferrari, he'd be like, what's going on? Is he a drug dealer on the side? Mm, what's he doing? Yeah, exactly. What's right? happening to the masjid donations? But, you know, what if, mashallah, the imam has successful businesses? What if he does X, Y, and Z? That's completely halal. We automatically think the worst and therefore the imam feels bad for being successful, right? And that shouldn't be the case. If you're successful, praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you don't need to feel bad as long as you're not doing anything haram. So, I think those are, are, are some of the, the biggest lessons um, that I'd share right off the top of my head uh, from Sheikh Muhammad mm-hmm. yeah.
0: A legacy that's t- deserving to be envious of in the halal sense. A
2: hundred percent, hundred percent. SubhanAllah, if you look at Al-Maghrib Institute, like Shaykh Muhammad doesn't even, so just to give you some context, Sheikh Muhammad started off Al-Maghrib Institute. He taught for maybe about 10 years. And then he stepped away. He was just a figurehead president of Al-Maghrib Institute. And then he started up Discover You, which was like Islamic self-development, right? So even though he was a president of Al-Maghrib, when he was no longer teaching, he didn't take a penny from it. That, that was his sadaqa jariyah. And right now we've hit our 20 year anniversary, 200,000 active students. And bi ta'ala, this is going on the mizan of his hasanat inshallah ta'ala. And then he had his own business, you know, Discover You which I think that one of itself was revolutionary, right? That Islamic self-help, right? We we're just talking about how people want to thank the universe. Mm. And he's like, forget the universe, thank Allah, thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Subhanahu. Use dua to get everything that you want, right? Mm. Forget you know, whispers into the secrets of the universe and you know, putting out positive vibes and that's what you'll get back. Raise your hands and beg and plead with Allah. That's what's gonna make you successful, right? And I think that one of itself was a, a huge contribution uh, to the Ummah, rahimahullah. Yeah, mashallah.
0: Allahumma ajallhu min Ahlul jannah. Ameen, ya the people of and all of us, right. all of us. Ameen. Of course, amin. And Allah, you, you know, so, Ameen. Ameen.
2: You know, this is uh, the the silver lining that uh, when physical bodies, hearts, and souls are apart, they have this moment that they keep looking forward to where they'll be united again, right? So we have. You know, that our next appointment, our next meeting is in Jannah, Billillillahi
1: Ta'ala. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean. and that inshallah. makes the heart grow fonder, as they say. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. SubhanAllah. A bittersweet ending. Um, but as we say, um, oh, as the people, as uh, anyway, SubhanAllah, I'm actually taking back. It's just, Sometimes you can say these things, but then to actually live through that experience, to say absolutely makes entail. the heart grow stronger, SubhanAllah, it really, it really hits you very hard subhanAllah may we all be people of benefit inshallah and it's the simple things a smile is an act of charity we don't know how many people are going through so many things in their life but if you were to look at one person and have a smile on your face you don't know how much impact it It really is the simple things religion is not a thing that's so overwhelming of course we have a vast history but it's always the small things that are overlooked so I would really emphasize that
0: there is no I guess disparity there's no disconnect between being a person who is of deen and a person who is of dunya. dunya. So as long as you have that connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you remain close to Allah. Shall
2: we conclude on this hadith then? Bismillah. Let's conclude yeah. on this hadith. There's a group of poor companions that are living inside of the masjid and they come complaining to the Prophet and they say, Ya Rasulullah, the bil The rich companions amongst us, they've run away with all the reward. They pray just like we pray, they fast like just like we fast, but they give in sadaqah that which we cannot give. Teach us something if we were to do it. It would put us at par with them. And in the version in Sahih Muslim, the Prophet ﷺ teaches them to say, SubhanAllah 33 times, Alhamdulillah 33 times, and Allahu Akbar 33 times. And no one will come better than you on the day of judgment except the one that did this and more. Some time goes by and these poor companions come back and they say, Ya Rasulullah, the rich companions found out our secret. Teach us something more. <laughs> so what we learn from this is that the ideal case scenario is that the believer is perfecting their personal ibadah, meaning that they're praying, they're fasting, doing all those uh, acts of personal ibadah. Number two, they have iman and taqwa. And number three, they're blessed with a lot of wealth. That is the ideal case scenario, right? That's not a scenario that everyone will have, but that is the ideal case scenario that you're doing your personal ibadah, you're a a person that is conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and has iman and taqwa, and that Allah has blessed you with a lot of wealth. And then the Prophet says, "That is the favor of Allah, Allah. that He selectively
0: gives to whomever He pleases." Allah, Allah, what a perfect way to end this conversation!
1: We could go on for hours. I think it's yeah. quite clear, Sheikh. It's been an absolute honor to have you on. Uh, thank you so much for spending your time with us, and wish you. Uh, a good recovery journey because I don't know if people can't tell at home is that you've actually just landed like less than 24 hours ago. Yes, yeah, so subhanallah, you came energized, and as far as we could tell it really fed through the conversation. So. <coughs> I was really excited to be here, like, I cannot uh, uh, tell uh, you how uh, excited I am to uh, be uh, here. Jazakum yeah. yeah. no kind of for having me. The glow speech. is clear, mashallah. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah.
0: JazakAllah to all our viewers at home. Don't forget to like, subscribe, hit the bell for notifications. You can also find our podcast on
1: all platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And if you had any suggestions that you'd like to hear on future episodes, please do let us know in the comment section. Inshallah.
0: As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.